Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Well, last week we kicked off this series that we do every year called Live Love. And we kicked off with a bang, amen? I emptied the tank three times last week. I'm just going to be serious. But it was so much fun, man. I love this series. And if you're a new man, go back, listen to last week's message because it's at the core of who we are. And if you've been around vintage, I, don't, I hope you don't have that feeling of, okay, here we go again. Because if we ever get to that feeling where what we're going to talk about during this series We don't have that longing for it, that passion for it. I told you, if I ever don't preach this series with passion, I want them to fire me because I don't deserve to be the pastor anymore. Because the things that we're talking about here, they're, they're, they're the things, man. They're the things. And every time we get to this point and have this series, there's always this weird debate is, all right, which, which number live love is this? Is it number 12, number 10, number 13? Like, and the reason why is because we didn't, we've been talking about these things for years, but it wasn't until 2010, our second year at Randleman High School. Oh, y'all didn't know we used to meet at Randleman High School in their theater. There wasn't, there was about like this many people like right here back then. And it was in 2010 that we, we actually decided to, to tether those two words to this series, live, love. But every year about this time, what you're going to hear, people have been hearing and it, it, the reason why I can't keep up with it is because everything I'm about to say to you over the next few weeks was written on my heart in 2006. And it was just me all by myself in a room. It's not a room. Because the day it became my office, I had to move like flower arrangements out of it so it could go from closet to Matt's office at a little church in rural South Carolina. And I was sitting in that office in 2006. I've been a pastor there for over six years been in the church my whole life. My dad is in this room somewhere. He's over there. Can y'all give it up for my pops over there? Right there. He's the man. So I've been in the church my whole life. But all of a sudden, in 2006, I sat down at my desk, and I was doing the point-and-shoot Bible study. Don't act like, don't look at me like y'all ain't ever done that. And I just happened to flip open to that book that follows the Gospels. It's called the book of Acts. Y'all familiar? Y'all ever heard of it? Y'all can talk to me. It's okay. It's the book of Acts. It's the story of what it looked like immediately following the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. When the, this thing was handed to this ragtag group of people that were very much like us, and they started this thing this church thing that we all now get to be a part of. And what I begin to, to figure out is, is what I read in these pages and what I saw happening in the church was so different than my experience. You ever read the book of Acts? Does it look like what you grew up in? I, you mean there's churches that don't fight over the doorknob that goes on the basement? Like that's not, or the color of the pews, or, or how many verses and courses we're going to sing of that song on Sunday so that we can get to Bojangles when we're done. Like, when there was a time when the church actually was centered around what Jesus created it to be, 
And I had never seen that up close. I'd never seen that in my personal experience. And it's not that all of my church experience was bad. It didn't look this powerful. Where in the beginning, it says that every single day people were getting saved. Some of us grew up in churches that went years without a salvation. Where people were so selfless, it says from time to time, they would sell their possessions and bring it to the church. And people would meet needs in the community so much so, the Bible says, there were no needy persons among them. Like, I saw this amazing thing in the book of Acts, and I just started praying, like, Lord, I don't want to just do church anymore. I want to just go through the motions. I want to be a part of something that's growing and advancing your kingdom. That it's more than just about some of the things that many of us have made it out to be. I want to be a part. And that's, that's when Vintage was born. And I started thinking, okay, all right, God, what, what do I do? What do I do? What, what do you want me to do? What are you calling me to do? And if you actually look up the word vintage in the dictionary, it means representing the high quality of a pastime. So in 2006, I started writing all these things down. And see, then we eventually moved up here. We moved to Greensboro. And I just, I had, I started telling people what, what became the content of Live Love. Anybody who, I would go trolling Target just to find somebody to talk to. One guy took me up on it. I went to dinner with him at Outback. He tried to get me in a pyramid ski, so I stopped doing that. <laughs> true story. Absolute true story. I almost been like, I, I could be making a lot of money in Amway or something right now and not even be here. Where was I? I just started telling people about Jesus and this thing, and, and I would sit across from people at Elizabeth's Pizza. There's Jesus and a Stromboli right here just talking to people, and, and I, had, I had a three-ring binder that I had printed out PowerPoint slides on. It had, first slide, inspiring people to live in love like Jesus. And the way that we would do that would be we would make these things important, intentional relationships, because Jesus brought people to him one relationship and one conversation at a time. That inspirational leadership would matter to us because you know what? We need real, authentic leaders that are not consumed with themselves but sacrificing for the needs of, a king, of the kingdom that we would be about an integrated community. We wouldn't be these silos existing and we wouldn't be on some hill separated from the community that God had put us in and that we would have innovative environments because we got the most amazing message on the planet. Let's package it in a way worthy of it being told. And those are the things that were the core of who we are. And so I don't, for me, this is 2021. For me, this is whatever 2006 minus 2021 is. That's how many years I've been teaching this stuff. And let me tell you something, man. When, when I read that verse that I shared with you in Revelation last week, it wrecked me. Remember this, Revelation chapter 2? Last week we opened this series in Revelation, which was a new one for us. And see, sometimes we think Revelation is just about end times, but in Revelation, as, as, as Jesus speaks to John on the Isle of Patmos, he starts addressing the things in the church, the issues in the church that Jesus is celebrating and also causes him to concern. And in Revelation chapter two, verse two, he says, I know your deeds, church, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. I have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary yet. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you did not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its pace. And y'all, let me tell you something. I read that verse like it, it hit me right in the face. It hit me right in the chest. Because here he is. He's saying, church, I see you. Like you work really, really hard. You work really, really hard. You have persevered. But I have an issue You've lost the love that you had at first. I told you last week, I don't think this is so much talking about the position where Jesus has fallen in our lives as much as the motivation of our lives. That that it's so easy to get in the routine of doing things for Jesus and not doing them out of love for Jesus. Checking all the boxes and doing all the things, whether it be as an individual, yeah, I read the Bible and I go to church because I don't want to go to hell. Or because I feel like God's going to get mad at me instead of because I want to get in my word because I want to know him. Like I love him so much. I want, I want to know his character and I want to know his nature. And even, and Jasmine's talked about this a lot lately. We don't just read the Bible so we can figure out what to do. We read the Bible so we can understand who he is because that's where it begins. Understanding him will open the door to you understanding you because he made you. And I started just saying, all right, God, I don't want to just do this. I don't want to just go through live love again because that's what we do every year. I don't want to just teach these things again because that's what we have to do. Like, God, I need a motivation check. And it's so easy. We said last week that, you know, the further you get from when something started, the easier it is to drift from why it began. You know, that's a true principle. It's true in marriage and parenting and career. Like, it's just the, the further you get from when it started, the easier it is to drift from why it began. And see, one of the things the church is bad about doing is, is we feel like, okay, we've, we've got to get everybody excited again. And this is what we say we need. We need a new and a fresh vision. That's become the trendy word in the church, right? We need a, a vision. We need a vision. And we hear it all the time. Well, I want to go to that church. That pastor has such a vision. And even that term visionary, it just sounds like, that sounds so cool. I want to be one of those. And we hear, we hear this verse used. And the only time the modern church ever wants to quote, quote the King James Version is on this verse. Because we like the way it says. Because it fits what we want to communicate. Where there is no vision, the people perish. First of all, When it talks about that, it's talking about the revelation of God, the word of God. Where the word of God isn't preached, people cast off restraint because it's the word of God and following it that keeps people moving towards who he created them to be. And we turn that into when a guy has a really neat idea and a neat strategy, that's how we stay on point. And I'm all for vision. Everybody, like a vision is not a bad thing. A vision is good. You need a vision like a because without, without vision, the mission can't happen. Because in our language, essentially, a vision is the idea for how we accomplish the mission. But look at me. Vision is necessary, but mission is primary. Vision is necessary, but mission is primary. I said last week, if we forget our why, we will lose our way. If we forget our why, we will lose our way. And we can have the coolest, neatest, freshest, awesomest, most expensive strategy in the world. But if it does not accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us, it is irrelevant. It can look cool, be cool, sound cool, and all those kinds of things. But if it doesn't accomplish the 
mission matters most. And if we can't be excited about the mission that Jesus gave us, something's broken in our hearts. If we need a fresh coat, look at me. And I know where I'm saying this, but if we need a fresh coat of paint and some new flickering lights to get excited about what Jesus gave us, there's something wrong inside. Because if seeing lives transformed by Jesus, if the thought of dead people coming back to life, not bad people coming good, if that's not enough, and the good thing is, like, the mission is not something that we have to guess at. It's not something that we get to guess at. It's not something that we get to make up. Because the mission, the why of the church, Jesus gave it to us himself. Matthew 28, Jesus has been crucified for our sins, my sins and yours. He has defeated death. He has come out of the grave. He has made himself visible and known to hundreds and hundreds of people. But before he ascends to the Father to take on his next assignment of preparing us for eternity, he looks at the disciples and he says this, Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And in that moment, the church had its why. In that moment, Jesus said, here's what I want from you. Here's why this thing is going to exist. The church does not exist to build buildings. The church does not exist for any other purpose but making disciples. And if we get to the point where we're more excited about a new light or cameras or new toys instead of souls that need Jesus, we've lost our way. Now, look at me. Don't get me wrong. Buildings are great. Lights are awesome. But they are tools. They are not the goal. I'm grateful for the tools that we have. I'm grateful for the tool of video that allows us to go into homes that physically we can never be in and get them curious about Jesus. But I'll also say, if you're sitting on the other side of that camera, you need people. You need a body to connect to, not just something to watch. Like, we need these things, man. They're tools, but they're not the goal. I'm not saying that we don't keep using, don't keep thinking of, of, of figuring out new and innovative and creative ways to present the gospel, but they can't be the goal. They're just the tool. We're reading that verse again this time around. It created a burden in my heart and made me wonder about some things about us. He said, go and make disciples. That's the word that Jesus used, disciples. And I just wonder if somewhere along the way, even we lose sight of that reality. That we, follow me now, that we get so excited and we celebrate converts that we forget those converts have got to become disciples. Jesus didn't say, go make converts. 
He didn't even say, just go get people to, to believe in me. He said, there's so much more than that. He said, go make disciples. And sometimes I wonder if maybe we fall into that trap of we, we, we get so excited or we settle for, yeah, it's awesome to see salvations. It's awesome to watch people go through the waters of baptisms, but then what? That's not the end. And that so often can the church get a mile wide and an inch deep. And we get so excited. And even I say things like, oh, I want, I want us, because we existed, to make heaven more full. As if somehow the goal is just to get people to heaven. And can I say, that's not the goal. That's the reward. That's the benefit. It's awesome that we do. But we don't just get saved and wait till he comes then. He wants us to walk with him now. He wants to transform us now. He wants to live in us now. He wants to be a part of who we are now. He wants, he wants to be more than just what you do for an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday. So much more. And I don't know why, I don't know why we don't talk about this more. I don't know why we don't see it as more. I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus, look at Matthew chapter four. From the onset of his calling people to himself, just look at the language that he uses. Matthew chapter four, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called, called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And then verse 19, he said, come, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Just look at that. I know it's a single sentence that seems so simple. Go back to verse, that, that verse, uh, there we go. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I know that's a singular sentence that seems so simple, but there's so much depth to what he just said. He didn't say, hey, come believe in me, and then just sit and hold tight till I return. He says, come follow me, which requires some effort on our part, some intention on our part. And then he says, and, and the result of following me will be I will send you out to get others to follow me too. And I wonder if we've just gotten to this point where, where we've gotten so excited that people get saved that we've settled for sitting there and not challenging all of us to go deeper and desire more when that's everything that Jesus said. Every time Jesus went into somebody, it came with the expectation to follow, not just an invitation to believe. It came with the expectation to follow, not just, now belief might be where it starts, but it has to move to more. The expectation to follow, not just an invitation to believe. That what Jesus said that the church would do is not just count converts. And that's become the new thing. Well, how many people y'all get, get saved this year? We saw 350 people get saved. How many got baptized? Another 265. But nobody says, how many of those people that got saved, are they still there and connected in a way that you even know if they're growing spiritually? And I'm, look at me. I'm not saying those things aren't significant. I'm not downplaying them. I'm not saying they don't matter. But salvation is the gateway to discipleship, not the destination of it. It's supposed to be more. Jesus says, go make disciples. And yes, baptize them, but then teach them. 
teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you so that they can grow in their understanding of who I am and what I want for them. And this is not about jumping through hoops. This is about living in intimacy with God day in and day out. And whenever Jesus saw people that weren't, that he could tell didn't get this and weren't willing to make those sacrifices, he called it out. Look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, can't be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Look at me. Jesus don't do casual Jesus don't do casual. I know, like, we like to keep it cash. Jesus don't do casual. Here he is. He's, and the way I picture this in my mind is Jesus is walking along and like, everybody's around him and all these big groups of people are following him and maybe he overhears some of the conversations or he's been observing them for several days. And, and this is the way I see it. They're walking and Jesus said, look, I need to tell you something. Anybody else see it like that? I need, I need you to know something. I don't do casual. If, you, if you're gonna follow me, I want you to understand what, what it's gonna take, what my expectations are gonna be. Like if, if, if I'm not gonna be most important, if I'm not gonna be priority, this ain't gonna work. You know what, even, even if you love your mom and dad more than you love me, if, if you love anything more than you love me, this is not gonna work. You're not gonna be able to stick to this. Because this is about to get really difficult. And in crisis, crisis reveals casual. And it weeds out the casual. And if you're just casually committed to me instead of all in with me, when it gets hard, you're not going to stick. So why don't you just go ahead and go now if that's not how it's going to be. Y'all follow me? I know it. it I, I didn't expect a whole lot of amens during this message because it's just, re, Jesus says, look, no. If anything is more important to you, than me. This isn't going to work. I don't do casual. I do fully committed. I'm all in. I'm Lord of all or not Lord at all. That's it. I'm all in. And this was a sentiment that he constantly, see, converts are committed when it's convenient. Disciples are in it all the way. All the way. And he would repeat this sentiment multiple times. There comes a moment when even one that he perceived to be committed seems to be casual. Matthew 16, verse 21. 
It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter going to try to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you don't have in mind the concerns of God, only merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to, come to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus says, I don't do casual. Peter, you've been having a blast up until this point. It's been all miracles and feeding 5,000 and watching all these things happen, and you got to go on the Mount of Transfiguration and see this really cool worship experience, and now you got to come down out of the worship night on Friday and actually go live it at your kid's school next week. Like, I don't do casual. Peter says, you know, Peter's like, I don't like the sound of that. I like what we've been doing, Jesus. It's been fun. We've been having a blast. Now you're talking about getting killed and all this. No, Jesus says, Peter, you got to understand something, man. If, you, if you're going to be my disciple, it's more than just one decision. It's a daily choice to deny yourself, make sacrifices, and pursue me even when it's challenging. Look at me. Salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation is free. Following Jesus will be the hardest thing you'll ever attempt. I love you too much to sugarcoat it. And I'm sorry for pastors that have. But we can't afford to be casual anymore. We live in a culture that casual Christians ain't gonna cut it. Things are shifting and they're gonna continue to shift until he does break through and casual Christians ain't gonna cut it. Committed, full, passionate disciples of Jesus, people who have chosen to follow him even when it's difficult, that's what he's looking for. Jesus doesn't do casual. He only does committed. And starting next week and for the next few weeks, we're going to start talking about, all right, what does that look like? What does that mean? Because Jesus said a lot about that. Can I just give you a few things that he said his disciples do? John 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, 13, or excuse me, John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Like, there's a lot that Jesus said. Like, I need you to believe, number one, that God's called you to more than just sit in salvation. <laughs> He's called you to grow in discipleship. And the reason why we use that language, inspiring people to live and love like Jesus, because at its core, that's what a disciple is, is somebody who lives and loves like Jesus, and not the Jesus that you're comfortable with in our culture, the one who's represented in the Gospels. And starting next week, we're going to unpack 
What does it really mean to be a disciple? What does it really look like to be a disciple of the true Jesus, the one that God did send of a, bir- of a virgin that spent 33 years on this planet showing humanity what it meant to live in intimacy with the Father? But before we get there, I've got to get all of us to, to believe that God is calling us to something further. To not just settle, yeah, I want you to see your sin, and I want you to seek salvation, but I also think God is calling us all to surrender our whole lives, that he wants more, and that the more is better, and it's beautiful, and it's power, and it's so much better to walk with him daily and constantly than to have this really watered-down idea of it. And if over the next few weeks, this church gets a little bit smaller, whatever, Because I've felt fallen in that trap, thinking that success means we have more heads to count instead of more hearts that are really growing deep in their relationship with Jesus. And I can't want that for you. Discipleship is the product of, des- of desire. I want you to want more of Jesus because there is more to grow in Him, to have a hunger and thirst for Him to take ownership of of your faith and its growth. To not see this thing as just a way to not go to hell. (laughs) Because if that's all you see it as, you're missing out on so much of the beauty of what it means to walk with and follow and know Jesus and the peace and the joy and the power and the security and the confidence and the strength that you draw from making him something other than a weekend thing. It changes stuff. So would you take a minute, just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I'm asking if you would go to, go ahead, would you stand on your feet? Would you just go ahead and stand on your feet? We're gonna finish with a time of worship and can I just get you to to wrestle with a few questions? Have you settled? You were saved 10, 15, 20 years ago. Have you grown? Have you gotten a deeper understanding of who he is and what he wants for you? you, Were you just satisfied there? And you know that God's saying, hey, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for for something to stir in you to long for more of me because you got just a taste and I'm calling you to the deep end of the pool now. Come on. God, I pray that right now would be one of those moments that we look back on as a turning point for so many of us, that we will believe that, God, there's so much more that you have for us, that what you said in John 10, 10, that I want to came to bring you life and life more abundantly that that wasn't just a pointing to heaven or someday, that we get to not wait on you to come someday, we get to walk with you today, and that matters. God, draw us unto yourself. God, help us to do more than just see our sin and seek forgiveness. Help us to have the courage to surrender everything we have and lay it at your feet, because that's what a disciple has to do. We have to give you all of ourselves, all of our time, our energy, our resources, every bit of who we are. And God, if there's anybody that's holding back today. God, I pray that you would help us to have the courage to let go, to release. God, release, release, release things into your hands. Speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app 
There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.